Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the fifth episode of The Witness Podcast. My name is Jack, and I'm this year's editor-in-chief of the journal. We started this podcast to add a new medium for the exchange of political ideas amongst our community here in Exeter, hosting conversations with students, academics, activists, and community leaders. This week, I sat down with Lewis Martin, candidate for Guild President in the upcoming student elections this March 16th to discuss the student experience in the age of coronavirus and student activism. We deliberated what it means to be a student activist, what it means to be a student in the age of the ballooning modern corporate university, and what issues we should have in mind when deciding who represents our views to the powers that be at the university. I hope you enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the fifth installment of the Witness podcast. I have with me today Lewis Martin. Lewis, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jack. And, and thanks for having me. Thanks to the Witness. I'm really excited about this. And this is actually the second podcast I've uh, recorded this um, weekend alone. So uh, really getting out there, spreading the messages. And um, I'm really excited to talk student politics today. All right, sweet. Um, so, Lewis, do you want to just give us a quick introduction of your background, what what you do at the university and what you're running for in this next upcoming student election? Yeah, so I'm Lewis Martin. I'm a second year politics student and I'm running to be Guild president, um, which the current president now is Sunday and uh, the elections are in March, March 16th to the 18th. And uh, yeah, so voting's open for three days, all online. And um, I'm currently in the campaign for the election. And um, we're running on a with a slogan that is "See an agenda for uh, student mental health and student safety." Um, and today, I think we'll kind of be talking a lot about mental health and also kind of a relationship between um, the university and students. Um, but yeah, I, I'm more about me. Well, I, I'm from I'm from Poole, from the south coast. Um, and uh, I got to Exeter through clearing, so I had quite a unique um, experience. Didn't quite get the A-level grades I wanted, but I'm so, so happy to be in Exeter, and it's probably one of the greatest, maybe, accidents, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, Jonas, why did you feel the need to run for this role, and kind of, do you have any background in any form of activism or local politics, something like that? So this was never, ever something that I had considered in my first year, especially, um, and I wasn't very aware of student politics to begin with. But I think a lot of people can relate to this. And actually other candidates who I've spoken to for other positions very much relate to this too. Uh, this year, there's been a dramatic shift because of external factors, but there has been a dramatic shift in what university means and what university is. Some things have been really tough for all of us you know I, I had I had COVID myself isolation and my flat of isolation I was hospitalized with COVID and uh, the kind of support for students hasn't been the best at times and one kind of image that I've mentioned a few times now but one image that really sticks out to me is that one day in September I was walking walking to campus for one of my rare in-person sessions and um, on every basically every window that I walked past I saw signs that said, uh, you know, I, I'm scared, help. And these these are messages that you just don't want to see from students who are often away from home for the very first time. And when you compare, well, when I compare at least my first year exper um, experience to their 
first year experience i can't help but think yeah, how terrible is this and i want to get involved and try and make a difference and I, I do politics as i mentioned so kind of i've been involved with politics so this was quite a kind of natural thing for me to get involved with student politics um i i worked in parliament for seven months for an mp which I think has prepared me for kind of the fast paced nature and demands of a position like this. And uh, one of my friends said to me that perhaps I was a bit like a, an emergency break the glass kind of person who would never ever do this on a normal day, but because it's an emergency and things are really kind of out the window, uh, the glass is being broken and you know I'm, I'm here to give it a shot and try and make a change for the better. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, when I've been having a couple of walks around campus recently and some of the messages in the windows, it's quite a morbid scene sometimes as well. Um, I think they were dealt such a raw deal, especially the first years. Um, but I was just wanted to come back. You talk, you spoke about um, Sunday being the previous Guild president. I, mean, I hadn't really realised how much of a role um, student activists had in really pulling the levers within these institutions because you know I, I can't even I couldn't even tell you who the guild president was in, when I was there in first year and you know in times of normal um, normalcy it's kind of you know they've kind of faded into obscurity because there wasn't something imminent and pressing to be done but I mean Sunday was incredible I mean seeing the um kind of support and um the support she gained on um, Facebook and the kind of grassroots um, formation of policy on her part, I thought that was um, incredible. But I mean, that's kind of enlightened me in terms of how important student activism is. But is what do you think the point of student activism is nowadays? You know, because do we still have the power? Are we able to kind of influence the union? What can we do to influence the union? Well, I can very much relate to what you were saying about Sunday. You know, I think she's been fantastic and like you I wasn't really aware of um, previous presidents I mean I'm, I am in my second year but uh, last year I wasn't really aware of the president it's only kind of this year uh, but the point of student activism I think this is a display that it's become so much more important and so much more influential when such dramatic and radical change is facing us all and there are successes that Sunday has had as president which I think show the importance of student activism one of those being um, a win on mitigation and the kind of removal of the evidence process during this pandemic, which I, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit myself that that's been a massive help to me in times where COVID disrupt my learning and I'm sure it's disrupted everybody else's learning in significant ways. So there's wins like this and ways that you can represent the students to make life so much more kind of workable for students who are kind of facing this this tough experience and uh, I think that's been really really important and I think continuously you know beyond the last few months the next few months and the next year will be perhaps equally as important as we once again face a massive change from instead of going into lockdown coming out of lockdown and coming out of this kind of pandemic life we've been living in and this remote learning life we've been living in now it's just so important that student input is given and that the decisions the university make are made with full consideration of the experiences that we're all having and the things that we're all as students having to deal with. 
what does it kind of mean to be a student in in 2021 because I think the universe for me I feel like the university experience has very much shifted in the past kind of 10 years in terms of our place within the education system I mean universities themselves have been increasingly run like businesses from an outsider's perspective and um, a lot of what they're doing at least in my opinion is kind of for profit rather than for student well-being um, which I find quite daunting I mean I look at the um I can't remember the name of the new accommodation um, on the hill but I just find that these endless accommodation blocks being thrown up and um you know, these quite, for me, unnecessary, the unnecessary expansion of universities kind of screams to me that student activism is more important than ever, but for some reason, um, students themselves don't seem to be particularly aware of who their student ambassadors are necessarily, and are sometimes not even particularly interested in it. I mean, the turnout for um, student elections, I mean, it's, it's, it's high-ish, but it's not, um, you know, voting isn't rampant. I think that's a really, really important point. And the last uh, year has maybe accelerated that and made it a bit more obvious and um, changed it in many ways. But kind of linking back to the first things you were speaking about there as students being more like a business model rather than uh, individuals. Uh, and that's, that's a real kind of crisis, I think, that we need this existential question of what actually are we at university for? why are we here are we here to fulfill a spreadsheet and to you know pay these very very high fees and especially international students who are paying extortionate fees right now you know are we are we here just for that to accommodate that and accommodate this kind of never-ending growth of university or are we here to actually get opportunities to engage with the subjects that we've chosen you know from hundreds of different courses we've chosen our courses we obviously have some interest in what we're looking at. Are we here to develop friendships? Are we here to develop networks to take the next step, you know, from, from school to university to kind of work life, uh, which, you know, university should be this really dynamic experience, which is a kind of coming of age thing. Um, and sometimes I think the university management makes a mistake of just making decisions that are best for the business model rather than, the student population and this is a kind of key point in my manifesto here is that my job at every step and every decision is to represent the students as people and that seems like a really like crazy abstract uh, manifesto point that you have to put you know I'm, I'm going to stand to say that the students are people um, but it's surprisingly necessary I think uh, which is maybe a reflection of the changing nature of what students are and what their place is um, but you know in every decision a university makes there needs to be a consideration for the very human impact and there is a there's two parts of our manifesto which are kind of linked to this and the first of which being um, ensuring a positive student experience uh, there's so much to student life not just the academic side of it but also the kind of activity side to it and there is, I think, quite luckily, a, a bit of a change to the VP activities position to make it a VP opportunity. Makes the role more about, uh, less about kind of the, the bureaucratic kind of process and uh, admin and stuff and more about actual events and, and, and 
um, promoting events and going along to societies and things like that. And I think that's really crucial. I'm on two committees of societies and membership has dropped off a cliff basically. So um, rediscovering that I think is important, but also we have a part in our manifesto about empowering communities. And there are proposals that I've been filled in on about increasing the number of international students. And, you know, in principle, I think that, you know, that's a fantastic thing. A more international and diverse campus is great, more ideas, more new people. But by making this change, you need to make sure that there's an accommodating measures for all these new international students. Um, you know, they don't only need to integrate into a whole new country, but need to integrate into a new university and there needs to be adequate prayer space. There needs to be adequate housing, you know, and adequate community rooms and, and the council need to be kind of prepared to accommodate this influx of international students. So, and also, you know, international students are facing these, as I mentioned earlier, uh, very, very high tuition fees and they need to make sure they are getting what they pay for. Like, just like, UK students as well, but you know they're paying twice as much. But all of us need to make sure we are getting the service that we should be getting for the fees that we are paying. Mm-hmm. I like to hear that your um, campaign is about the stu- you know for the students. I think that a massive problem in our universities and our society writ large is um, the kind of lack of democracy that we have. I think a massive democratization across campus would be beautiful. I think it would solve an infinite amount of problems that we have on campus. I think that, especially, you know, as we were talking about, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And yeah, sorry, I hope you don't mind me jumping in, but you just reminded me about, you know, you asked a question about turnout as well and participation in Mm. democracy at the university. And one, I think it would be very interesting to see this election, what happens with turnout because at other unions um, across the country, universities across the country, we've seen an increase actually of quite a substantial amount of students voting whether that will be reflected here or not I don't know but I think it shows and reflects this point that student politics is becoming more important now and people are quite fed up and angry and are actually voting to try and make sure that they are represented but I thought I'd just bring that back as I know that was a thing that you mentioned. Yeah I think you're completely right and I think that if the power falls out of our hands and um this democratization kind of falters then we're subject to potential to decisions that are you know um very autocratic that happen in universities i mean you know we wanted to segue to talk about mental health i mean there's no more obvious example than what happened in manchester right this kind of overnight imposition of um fences around accommodations right i mean that that i mean that doesn't scream a democratic university to me yeah, I think that example of Manchester is a a crisis, really, and asks the question of what place the students really have. If it was done to anyone else, if you were, you know, if it's just a family home and overnight the council decided to put fences up around it, you know, you'd be in court, you'd be, it'd be an absolute outroar. And, I th- and luckily, you know, I think it, the students responded to it the way that they should have and they they stood up and said this is not acceptable we're going to tear this down the university should have so much more respect for these people who are adults and who actually are quite a vulnerable group especially first years who are moving away from home sometimes for the first time living with people who they may you know they may never have known before so you know it, it was it was quite 
quite positive to see that the students reacted by taking them down and standing up against that. But it does show that there is a kind of inconsiderate attitude amongst um, some of the hierarchy in the universities. And it would it is a job, quite simply, of a guild and especially a guild president to stand up against that and represent the students and make sure that they are treated like people, not cattle, basically, you know, not fenced up and just <laughs> treated so awfully. Uh, it is a real infringement on the kind of rights and freedoms of students and of, of just people. It, it was it was really horrifying to see. It was, yeah. I mean, I was I was also quite inspired by watching it. I think that you know, universities are typically the hotbed of activism worldwide, right? That's where revolutions start. That's where social movements are born. And I've kind of, throughout my experience, I've been kind of worried that. Um, university students and the population in general becoming slightly docile and less prone to kind of um, um, organizing and um, protesting but that was you know that was um, incredible to see kind of um, horizontal organizing power in action right there um, but I mean we can kind of segue on to talk about mental health if you'd like um, I mean this um, incident in Manchester kind of sparks the debate but um I see a lot online recently, um, you know, the main grievance for most people right now is the lack of mental health support or the um, declining quality, not even necessarily the declining quality of it, but the continued low quality of um, mental health services in the university. Can you just tell me, let's start with what is the university's role in providing mental health for students? What is their responsibility? So in Exeter University, owns and runs the wellbeing center and through conversations i've had it's become quite clear to me that the wellbeing center is very very good at doing kind of first um appointments where they kind of tick boxes perhaps and um, kind of fulfill the obligations that they have to fulfill but when it comes to longer term sustained mental health support there's a clear dropping off and and kind of inadequacy and there are a lot of quite um i'm not sure what the right word is but quite striking examples that i've heard from our university where the right support hasn't been there for students and even in emergency situations i think the state patrol could do more to be a student support um service rather than kind of like a security service um, and uh, there's been lots of uh, actual real case studies that I've heard about in the last few months through this kind of presidential bid that have really opened my eyes to some of the work that needs to be done and this also segues quite well to an article that we kind of discussed and that I kind of brought to your attention before this and it was an article on the tab about the University of Exeter which said about uh, the University of Exeter being the only university, or at least I think it was definitely the only Russell Group University and the only of about 100 studied universities, where the number of mental health support staff had actually dropped um, through the pandemic. And it's worth putting the caveat that while the number dropped, the hours stayed the same. But at this moment, you know, there's, there's two problems with this. One, what's the message we want to send to our students? is the message we want to send. Yep, you're facing hardships that are once in a 
generation and that are you know causing so many mental health issues but we're still going to drop the number of support staff you know it should be increasing rather than dropping and second of all it kind of it asks the question of does this university really take mental health seriously um, i think there's a lot that can be said for the students role in mental health i i do know friends at other universities who have been involved in student startups and actually at this university as well and i think there's a big role for that but there's only so far the students can support each other you know professional help long-term help and increasing help i think should be provided and, and needs to be there mm -hmm. i think that um for me at least what i've seen what i've been seeing online a kind of big problem i mean to an extent the nature of this pandemic is you know, we can't see each other in person right and good mental health support usually would be done in person and that kind of lack of face-to-face -face contact is definitely something that people are suffering from in terms of these small interactions they have with these mental health professionals i mean um i saw this one video of this um girl describing her experience with a um mental health professional from her uni right and you know it was on the phone but it was very tick box kind of thing you know it was um going over what was wrong with her what she'd done about it rather than this kind of human approach and that kind of for me compounds this um there's not the attitude of the uni but the way in which they approach mental health seems quite corporate i mean that's probably the right word the wrong word to describe it but um you know it's they're seen as i think what they at least on the surface of it what they want to be doing is to be seen to be helping rather than um thinking about what is necessarily the correct approach for it um but does it, is this the kind of thing that's solved with just more mental health stuff i mean surely it has to be there has to be a revolution in the kind of way that we approach mental health rather than just spending more money on it because as we know that rarely solves like the problem in its totality so the one thing that i think is worth noting here is that you know if i am elected or whoever is elected uh, they will be taking charge from around July, August time. So they will be facing, you know, as we mentioned before, of kind of coming out of lockdown. And that's a new challenge, which, as you say, requires a more tailor-made approach because the challenges that will be faced um, when the next uh, president and VPs take office will be very new challenges. And there needs to be an adaptation to that. And hopefully we will see that return of in-person mental health support which is so important and also you know hopefully we'll see more social interaction as well which will hopefully help and more time with friends and there's a lot to be said for the work that um, well-being leads do in societies I think and one thing that one of the first things I did in this campaign was appointed an actual well-being lead on our campaign team uh, you know, even though we're just a campaign, I think there's a lot of people that we reach and a lot of cases that we get involved with. So, you know, I think it's very important that wellbeing leads do get given as much support as they can to kind of reach out to people because it's often more approachable than a large institution. Um, but, you know, I think I think funding is a big part of it as well, though. You know, I, I, I still think that additional funding is needed, especially when the university is cutting down staff the only reason I can think for that is that it's financial reasons. I can't really see any other reasons. So quite interestingly, um, from our research, we discovered that over the last kind of academic year, 
there's been a surplus of £1 million for reinvestment. Um, and we, as a campaign, we want to see that £1 million invested in student safety, quite simply. I mean, uh, yeah, so student mental health support and that links, of course, to student safety. So that extra £1 million, I think, could go a long way. And that's something that we will fight tooth and nail for. I think people want a president and a, a sort of VP team as well who are not afraid to stand up to a university and fight for something. A lot of sort of critics might be saying that, you know, £1 million, that's, that's crazy, you're never going to get that. I don't think that's the right attitude. Um, we have a lot of negotiation tactics that we're working on to, to fully get this. We believe we can achieve this. And I think it's for the better of students, but it also links very well onto uh, the whole tuition fees debate, which is one that I'm delighted to see that the Guild recently has voted to support and fully back. So I believe you know, the next team will be very much in the driving seat for trying to push that through. And that's another area that I know a lot of candidates are very passionate about and a lot of students are very passionate about as well. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, just going back to your point about um, this one million pounds and this kind of um, the reduction of mental health staff. I, I mean, you don't have to agree with me on air, but I think the university have huge coffers and have deep pockets that, you know, and the only reason I can imagine for this reduction in mental health staff is some form of streamlining financially, right? I mean, what else would it be? Um, unless they happen to fire a bunch of people at the same time, which would, which obviously didn't happen. Um, sure, sure. Extra mental health funding is certainly necessary, but yeah, I think there's a need to change in the way it's done. And just to kind of jump in on that point that you were just saying about, you know, the university having the funds, you see that this year they're not having to provide the same in-person facilities and teaching, et cetera, that they would on any previous year, but we're still saying we're still paying the same amount and that money has to go somewhere. And I think that money should go back to the students and that extra million pounds for mental health support would be part of that. Oh, yeah. And that's the massive, huge fundamental problem with the growth model of universities and the for-profit model. I think that it's quite frankly batshit that we that universities still operate for profit i think that's one of the greatest injustices happening in academic history well in this in this country's academic history really. and we're seeing the we're seeing the ills of that right now the fact that we're even having really having this debate shows that's um that is the problem really um and this kind of leads us into the argument of for and against um tuition fees because I think um, for me it's two-pronged I mean obviously the most imminent um, critique that we need to talk about is the reduction what we are owed for this year right so I don't think any person um, you know vice chancellor down to cleaner down to like student would argue that we have been given the same experience and the university has used the same amount of resources this year and spent the same amount of money uh, that is usually used to justify the £9,250 price tag of our um, of our yearly um, what's it called fees. Um, so yeah, what, what can you just lay out the argument for us? I mean, I assume you're in favour of um, a reduction of fees, but you want to just tell us your thoughts about it? Fully, fully. Um, I think it's something that is so logical and so blindingly obvious as something that needs to be done and something that's owed to us as students. And, you know, we say about this business model in any business, if you do not receive the service you pay for, you do not pay the amount 
that you should be paying for the full service. Um, and it's just a simple equation as that. And one thing that I think was, I was quite proud to do was that I did a, a Q&A event with former Deputy Prime Minister uh, Damien Green, who you know, admitted that there's a full, full fair case for the reduction of tuition fees. And the only place that we're going to get that is hope well probably from governmental intervention you know the university's not just going to give up the money i don't think um so you know there are people who in government and in parliament you know realize that there's an undeniable case you know you can't really argue against it and the case is that we have not had the same access to resources the same teaching the same service we're, we're basically doing an online university course or at least if I was doing an online university course, I wouldn't know the difference. Um, <laughs> I'm at home in my room on Zoom all day, basically. So, you know, you don't have to pay so much for an online um, open university course or a course that doesn't require all the facilities that you should have available to you on a normal academic year. And because we haven't received that, we should receive a reduction or a refund of some sort. And I think it's just it's just a case that's impossible to deny. And it's an injustice that if, you know, us as student representatives or potential student representatives, if this was something that we didn't champion and fight for, I think we would be letting the student community down significantly. So it's it's something that's so important that we as students and student representatives just can't let go because it's so blind and so obvious. Interesting you hear to talk about, to talk about um, government intervention, because I thought, in, at least in my eyes, this was a kind of student versus vice chancellor kind of paradigm, right? I mean, I thought that eventually this kind of, um, I, mean, I guess you can call the student community you know, kind of civil society group in which we are fighting for the university to give us back these fees. By, so you're saying that it's going to need government intervention, but before you answer that, is there... Um, are there any other universities that have voluntarily um, given some of their, their students fees back? Um, so to your first point, well, you would you would very much hope that um, the universities would be, you know, the vice chancellors would be kind of respondent to that. But from the campaigns that we've had, you know, we've had a campaign on this since the start of the pandemic. And, you know, what, what progress have we had? And uh, if you want to get collective full action, then I my view i might be wrong and if i'm wrong it makes life a lot easier but my kind of outlook on this is that the universities are not going to budge on this until um until they're forced to basically uh, and if as long as you know the universities are in association with each other and this kind of links to your second point as well there's been a lot of work that sunday's done with russell group universities and they're kind of getting together all the different presidents from the different russell groups universities who have all campaigned for this kind of thing. And it's not just the presidents that get together, it's the, you know, the vice chancellors that get together from all these different universities. And they all agree, well, if we all stand firm and don't change this, and they all stand firm and say they want to change this and we're at a stalemate and nothing happens. Um, so I think it's just as simple as, you know, trying to force that change and trying to break that stalemate somehow. And yes, you know, my opinion is that you do need some kind of governmental action to do that because i don't think universities would do it by themselves of course as a president it would be um, my duty to try everything and i know that um some vp education candidates who you know this kind of fits very well into their remit i, I know they are very passionate about this and penny who is currently the vp for education is has been a champion of this actually for the last 
last you know however many months she's been a champion of it and representing it to um, parliament and to the vice chancellors and to other universities mm-hmm. so um let's just kind of talk about the um this student versus uni debate that's still going on this kind of um relationship we seem to have with the university i mean for anyone who is listening to this and doesn't go to x university you probably didn't hear about this um incident in which um the the vast majority of the student body were labeled with a cyber terrorist by a member of staff do you want to just talk about that real quick enlighten the people outside of exeter of what happened the outrage was quite righteous on this i think and i believe that people who don't know this case after hearing this will very much agree with that uh, quite simply there was a campaign put together by um, an organization a student organization called uh, students for academic mitigation and quite simply, that's what it was. It was a campaign and a, a, an example of student activism where many students got together and one day kind of bombarded emails to the university, basically requesting this uh, mitigation because, yeah, it's it's factual that students have faced a very different kind of um, situation to previous years and that adequate kind of compensation for grades needed needed to be considered. And uh, in response, there was a leaked email from a um, member of staff at the university who basically called all these student activists cyber terrorists for sending emails requesting that, you know, their grades were protected. And this kind of... Um, who, who was it? The, which mem- what was she in relation to um, the kind of people who were sorting out? Well, I'm, I'm, she, I'm, not, right, I'm not. I'm not too sure whether it's uh, my place to get too involved on, in the individual. Uh, Say but, no more. Uh, but <laughs> Say yeah, no more. Uh, you can. You know, you can find stuff online. I, you know, I wouldn't want to right, right. draw attention to an individual individual member of staff. But um, yeah, this this response was just completely unwarranted, and there was a response. There was a um, an apology from this member of staff, but. Um, it was quite uh, lackluster, I, I believe. And uh, it's it, it just kind of shows that <laughs> to call student activists who are actually you know, concerned for their, their grades and their futures, to just turn around and insult them like that, it, it just shows a clear disrespect and an unawareness, I think, of the struggles that students are going through at the moment. I find it really sad that we always seem to be at loggerheads with the powers that be at university. Um, But in in terms of um, academic investigation, um, we can quickly talk about it if you'd like. So there's been a lot of chat about it. There's been a lot of discussion about what the right method of academic mitigation is, because whilst on the one hand, obviously, academic mitigation makes sense as a blanket policy for, you know, unknown individuals who um, are suffering, what I kind of worry about, or what some people worry about necessarily, is we don't want a kind of repeat of what hap- of a similar policy that happened with um, the A-level exams kind of fiasco. We don't um, necessarily want a devaluation of our grades that a complete blanket policy of academic mitigation um, would entail. I think, I mean, for me personally, I feel like the um, kind of automatic mitigation that we were given you know the um no questions asked no evidence mitigation was enough for certainly those within my kind of um circles but i was wondering what you wondering what your take on it was and what your kind of whether that would be part of your policy manifesto yeah so 
this isn't part of my manifesto simply because it's more of the remit of the VP of education, but I, you know, I still do have an opinion on this and it still will be my duty if elected to work with um, a VP of uh, education. And, you know, I've been asked this question a few times actually in the past. And my answer is that, yeah, as you say, we, we need to be very careful about inflation of grades and deflation of grades and, the issues of kind of devaluing a degree or something, you know, it's, it's important that that doesn't happen. Um, there are um, very different individual cases which need to be taken into consideration when formulating any policy on this. But I think the general rule that needs to be that the kind of percentages of who gets what grades is lined up with previous years. So, you know, if there's a clear example where students you know let's say in the past this is hypothetical this isn't factual but let's say in the past uh, 20 percent uh, got a first for example and this year it was um, 12 percent uh, it should you should be able to level those up to 20 percent from that 12 percent um, and i think a policy which works on that kind of basis which just ensures consistency of grades but also there needs to be exceptions that are taken into account as well so individual circumstance as well but you know this is a policy that you know will be the role of the vp of education so you know i very much encourage people to look at those candidates but you know i think it's very important that these considerations are taken and that the policy develops works for students in the best way possible mm -hmm. cool man i mean i have one final question it's more of kind of a um casual question that was on the minds of everyone particularly for me in first year was the kind of um the the gears of the guild were seemingly needed were needed some lubrication there was um everyone always complains about the guild right everyone always yeah. claims that it's extremely inefficient and anyone who i ever spoke to in a society the boogeyman was the guild for any of their problems right what what so do you think that was a problem do you think all oh, that's just um you know, the guilt, you know, that's just people complaining too much or whether there is something wrong with the kind of um, efficiency of the guilds and something needs to be changed. Well, yeah, there is, you know, there are obvious issues that I know firsthand from my committee experience. And, you know, when you said about committee members seeing the kind of boogeyman as the uh, guild, I, I definitely related to that quite heavily, actually. Um, and one area that I think a lot of that is orientated around is activities and the processing of events. And that's one area that, you know, I, I know I've had issues with and I know uh, VP opportunity candidates are looking at. Um, but I think one thing that hopefully will bring uh, me as a kind of advantage on um, changing this and kind of giving more, hopefully more, uh, what's the word for it? A, a more efficient system in the guild is that, you know, I am very much kind of an outsider, perhaps, or I'm not someone who's been involved with the Guild and their institutions for the last few years. Um, I'm someone coming in with this with kind of fresh eyes, and I hope that that will lead to a, a change in Guild. I realise there's, you know, there's limits, there are systems in place, and it's a struggle to get something like this perfect. You know, if the Guild doesn't have unlimited money, and it's it's not always easy for the guild to be perfect and people would say that you know sunday has been a almost perfect president but those issues still remain so i'm very kind of aware of maintaining the fact that you know i can't come in and make everything perfect but i think my outsider perspective and you know my passion for actually getting the issues addressed and making a positive change and 
actually having experience as a committee member with dealing with the guild i hope that those experiences will mean that i can actually make some kind of positive change in the guild to make it a bit more efficient um, but you know i know my limits but uh a maverick outsider how exciting well um i don't know if there's anything else you wanted to mention yeah just just one um more thing that i think i should mention here because it's just something that is you know an, a, a key point and a key part of student life at the moment um and i think it'd be wrong not for me to mention this and it's something that's in our slogan you know it's an agenda for mental health and student safety student safety is something that is has become a bigger issue than i think any of us would like it to be um in an ideal world no candidate would have to talk about it but unfortunately especially in the last year it seems uh, there's so many more cases and posts of students being chased down the streets and attacked in Exeter and something quite simply needs to be done that that's not acceptable in any walk of life and it's not acceptable for students to not feel safe uh, and one sort of specific point that I think would be worth me mentioning is the case of Hoopan Lane uh, I think it's very important that extra lighting is there and there's better CCTV there. And I know there are conversations now um, with the council and it'd be my priority to work on this and to work on consultations with the students to actually work out you know, what can be done. And there also needs to be more work with the police, um, especially with the university as well. How many university campaigns do you see that say, you know, that give you tips on prevention and things like that? You know, it, it, the only kind of prevention information that I've seen online is from overheard people kind of promoting uh, safety apps and things like that. You don't see it from the university itself. And I think the university could do a lot more on that and uh, the police could do a lot more and also the council, just increasing lighting. It makes a world of difference and increasing CCTV. Uh, something needs to be done pretty urgently, I think. And it's just, a, you know, I have no, um, I'm passionate about it. I'm serious about it. And it's a kind of red line that something gets done about that for me. Sure, man. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, well, I think that draws us to a close. Thank you very much for coming on, Lewis. Um, just want to um, give a quick run over and tell people how they can vote on March the 16th, was it? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, for, and thanks for having me. Like, I really do appreciate it. This is a great article, and you know, as a politics student, I definitely check it out. So that's pretty cool. Um, so you know, a little plug to you guys, uh, everyone listening. Check out the witness. Um, but yeah, voting voting opens on the sixteenth of March. It's open until four p.m. I believe on the eighteenth of March. You can vote online on the Guild website. I'm sure you'll see the link posted on social media everywhere you look, and you'll be sick of it. But yeah, please vote, you know, no matter who you're voting for, the more votes there are, the more of a mandate the president gets and the more power they have to enforce changes that you want to see. Um, and you can kind of check out and find out more about this campaign um, by looking at, we've got an Instagram, which is Lewis4, four, four being the number four. So Lewis4 president. And then we've got a Facebook page as well, which is Lewis4 guild president and then a website which is www.lewisforpresident.com there's ways to get in contact with us you know, if any of the things that I've said you feel relate to you and you want to give us any more stories uh, the more we can learn from students the better you know, we're here to represent students if you want to get involved please do get in contact with us don't hesitate and uh, yeah thank you so much everybody for listening
All right, thanks, Lewis. Um, so, thank you for everyone tuning in to the fifth installment of the Witness podcast. If you want to get involved with the Witness, you can message us on our Facebook page, the Witness Politics Journal, or email us at thewitness.exeteroutlook.com. We are an apolitical student journal. Um, publishing articles submitted by our academic community on our website, thewitnessexter.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.